Hi everyone, just sneaking in to say another huge, huge thank you for being part of the community and listening to the whole of series one of Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with Do Not Panic, Do Not Fear, series two is coming soon. So make sure you're following, make sure you are subscribed and series two will be on its way. I want you to enjoy this amazing, amazing bonus episode with the legend, the absolute legend, the wizard some call, Dane Chalfin. It's a brilliant episode all about vocal well-being. We touch on all aspects of that, especially in the post-COVID world and what that means for performers. So yeah, do enjoy and I shall see you on the other side. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with. What we listen to and hear throughout the day can shape how we feel. If we feed and nourish our soul with wholesome conversations from everyday people filled with positivity and stories that people can relate to, you may feel less alone and even inspired. We're all working through stuff and sometimes you need to hear conversations that have failures, successes and everyday struggles. Wellbeing with Manny in conversation with is listening to others talk about how they have journeyed through life so far, including some top tips for you to take away. everyone and welcome back to the channel this is well-being with Manny in conversation with so today we have a really really special episode so this is our special bonus episode and we're going to really focus on our vocal well-being with the amazing amazing underline highlight Dane Chalfin thank you so much for chatting to us today oh Manny thank you so much for asking me <laughs> um so you really are my go-to for a lot of things, mainly vocal, but a lot of things. So just for people that don't know you, if you just want to um, introduce yourself and, and what it is that you do. Okay. So I'm, I'm a mainly a commercial vocal coach. I work in uh, the West End, musical theater, um, TV, film, and the recording industry. But I suppose the, the, the bit that you're going to want to talk about is I've been working in voice clinics since 2003 mm -hmm. um, and have had sort of official contracts with the NHS. Um, I'm a private consultant for lots of other ENT clinics and when it comes to, you know, getting cameras and pins and needles and electrodes and ultrasounds in people, I've been pretty lucky to get to do it uh, with some really great teams and also at this point with a couple of thousand singers. So my perspective uh, on the way I work commercially um, has changed a great deal because of that sort of clinical experience. Mm. And um, yeah, so the vocal rehabilitation side is probably uh, about 50% of my workload these days. And probably the other 50 tends to be more kind of, um, you know, high level professionals, uh, teacher training, that kind of thing. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. And um, so I guess the first thing that I'd love to ask you is when someone says vocal well-being, what does that really mean to you? Well, I think um, all things are holistic in my mind. Uh, my, my friend Kim Chandler, who you also know, uh, talks about sort of the world of voice as being lots of ants looking at an elephant. 
And so you have the acoustician ants, you have the pedagogue ants, you have the clinical ants, you've got, you know, and, and everybody's looking at their bit uh, and not always talking to one another. And so when, when I think of vocal well-being, I think about the whole team. I think about the musculoskeletal team, the respiratory team, the vocal tract itself. Uh, don't forget mental health, psychological well-being, which is so huge. Yeah. Uh, especially for high-level performers mm -hmm. and, and even um, for, uh, you know, semi-pros, amateurs, hobbyists and all of that. We see a lot of them in clinic when things start to go wrong and mm -hmm. that affects their mental well-being. You know, people who sing uh, and perform for, you know, the, as part of their just quality of life, not necessarily yeah. just for their income. And when there are problems, it affects sort of every angle. And when you look at it from a team perspective, you realize that, you know, the physio sees one thing, you see a different thing, uh, you know, the, the psychotherapist sees another thing. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the professional arena and from show to show or artist to artist or gig to gig, the requirements are so different. And so you've also got to look at the ergonomics of it. You know, are you wearing a diabolical corset? I'm looking at you, Hamilton. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me or are, do you have half the set on your head lion king yeah, yeah. Uh, can you even hear yourself all the gigging party bands in the world yeah and um and how do you how do you cope with the workload as well because sometimes people are just being asked to do too much mm. and i think the big problem and i think this is where people treat voice slightly differently especially kind of in the industries because it, it's a muscular system, but it's a muscular system you can't see. So if you've broken your ankle, everybody knows you've broken your ankle. You've got crutches, you've got a cast, whatever. And so nobody expects you to dance on a broken ankle, mm -hmm. which is like, duh. But nobody can see, unless you're lucky to be in a clinic, you know, uh, Tori Bernay, who's, you know, my boss and, and the world's greatest speech therapist, in my opinion, um, unless she's got her camera up your nose and we're both there looking at the screen, assessing what's going on in your muscles. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've got our ENT consultant who's looking at the tissue. You know, we see stuff and we go, yeah, that would be insane to ask somebody to perform in that current condition but company managers producers bandmates you know mds don't have um not 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 that through ill will by any stretch of the imagination i don't, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes i'm going to be a jackass to some singers today but i think that because they can't see it and they lack that education that translates into really unrealistic expectations of the singer yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, and there's so, so much to unpack there. I think something that kind of just jumps out to me is that that difference between the physical injury and that vocal injury or, or just the, the time that we need to heal, whatever it is. What, what would you say has changed or needs to change in terms of attitudes of that, you know? That, that's the thing. You know, it feels like, yeah, we're all talking about loads of stuff and we're all in a world at the moment where illness is a big thing. So oh, yeah. yeah, you know, what are your thoughts on where we've come from, where we're going to? Has anything really changed? <laughs> I think it's changing an, an individual at a time. <laughs> yeah, I think the industries on the whole haven't changed a great deal. I think there's a lack of dialogue. I think there's a lack of education. Ultimately, it comes down to money. 
Yes. Money and inconvenience. And so if you're the person paying the bill, you know, it's your money and your inconvenience at the end of the day uh, when somebody can't perform. But the 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 physical manifestations of um, voices that are in trouble are so multifactorial. So it can be a musculoskeletal problem. You can have an injury to the knee, which then affects the hip, which then affects the ribs, which then affects the neck, which then affects the vocal tract. And so you sort of, you know, you're chasing it up that sort of kinetic chain. You can have inflammatory issues, whether those are from overuse. So if you've got, if you've got angry vocal folds, just because you've been using them too much, uh, but also you can have inflammatory issues from things like acid reflux, uh, seasonal allergies, colds, coughs, illness. I mean, COVID has been a, 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 uh, a, a, a it, it's such a, it's such a deep well that we're not really even anywhere near the bottom of, because we're seeing, especially with long COVID, so many inflammatory sort of responses that people are having. I mean, I had uh, COVID and long COVID and, uh, you know, had some reactive arthritis from it. I mean, it was affecting my hips and all this kind of stuff where, uh, you know, people were scratching their heads going, this is a very odd presentation and we just don't know enough. Um, but also you can have psychological uh, issues as well. And this is the thing that I think people really don't often understand. And there is good science to back it up, yeah. which is that you've got a couple of different kind of neurological motorways into your vocal tract. One goes into kind of fine motor control. You know, it's how we hit the right note the right way. But you've got another big one that goes straight into your emotion and memory system in your brain. And what's really interesting about this is that um, the more we've looked at the mechanics of vocal tracks and singers, the more we realize that singers, when they're at their most sort of happy and healthy, just mechanically, are using lots of what we would sort of call emotive gestures in their throat. So when you look at a throat when it's crying or laughing or calling out or whatever, we see those same kind of muscular patterns happening in happy singers. But what happens when we go through um, a chronic stressor or an acute trauma is that socialization kicks in. And so we learn from a really young age that, you know, mum tells us it is not appropriate to cry in Tesco's. And it is not appropriate to giggle at a funeral. And, you know, we learn how to keep it down. And some of the muscular strategies that we use to repress our spontaneous emotive voicing, uh, if they're held on for long enough, they start to habituate. And then they kind of, it's a bit like in the car, you know, when you're doing your, um, just I'm keeping my shit together sort of approach <laughs> yeah, to yeah. life in your throat. It's a bit like putting the handbrake on in your car. So you see muscles that kind of pull up, back, and kind of lock into position. And that reduces the mobility, the free range of motion in uh, the structures in the vocal tract. And then the voice starts to feel labored. The range might decrease, the stamina decreases. And then we get the poor singer in the voice clinic going, what's going on? And you look at it and you go, well, there's a bit of a muscle tension imbalance going on. And, you know, you go through the case history. You say, okay, what, you know, what happened around the time that your voice problem started? And that's usually when mm -hmm. the tears happen. And that's when somebody says, oh, well, you know, somebody died or I had a bad breakup or I lost a job and my finances were, you know, messy and all those sorts of things that can affect the muscular behavior means, you know, your voice isn't going to operate as freely. And then if you're still having to gig, 
you're having to find new muscle strategies to compensate. Yeah. And those aren't always uh, sort of often they're not very well balanced. Yeah. And so that really affects the, you know, the singer's ability to do their job or to, to sing for pleasure or whatever. Mm. So it's uh, it's so multifactorial. Mm. And this is why teamwork is so important. You know, it, it's it's why these days for performers, we say, you know, go to if you're having a problem that lasts more than about two weeks, go to a specialist voice clinic where, you know, your ENT specializes in laryngology mm. and then subspecializes in <clears throat> voice. Your speech and language therapist in the clinic who's assessing the muscular side of things specializes in voice. And by the way, that takes about seven years to specialize in after you've qualified. Um, you want a singing specialist who, who meets certain competencies to be there. If you're lucky, you've also got a, a physical therapist with physio or osteo, you know, either in the room or at least available for referral. Mm -hmm. And sometimes also, you know, the psychotherapy team, um, the gastro team. The respiratory team i mean sometimes you're making referral 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 on because there's so many aspects that might be contributing uh, to the voice problem yeah so if you're not team working you're not really working in my opinion yeah yeah i think it's really important to highlight that that you know no man woman or or, or person is an island yes and yes. if you're trying to be you know the great grand expert of all things it's a really outdated way of working and we see it sometimes in our ENT colleagues we see it sometimes in the world of voice where somebody says mm -hmm. I can fix everything and you go you've got a lot of Dunning-Kruger um going on there that that idea that you don't know what you don't know till you know you don't know it yeah and one of the biggest things that I realized um very very soon after I started uh, observing and then working in a voice clinic was how much you need that village Yes. to get over the problem because otherwise what happens is the poor performer gets passed around or isn't getting the result they want so they seek results other places and in in a you know at guys hospital um where we have our performers clinic we see and and previously at south manchester where i kind of started we see so many secondary tertiary referrals where people have been kicked around the system outside of a specialist environment you know, sometimes for years, and it might just be the fact that the diagnosis was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the treatment plan didn't work. And nobody, nobody was trying to screw up the diagnosis. No. And, and nobody was trying to give, you know, bad therapy. It's just we didn't have the team looking at the whole elephant. Yeah. Mm. And the... The thing that I think in terms of a practical um, way to go forward with that for like, certainly for the students that I'm singing. So people who potentially don't have access to all of that at the moment is a really hard thing because actually the thing, one of the major things apart from the, the symptoms of COVID, what's happened is obviously referrals and waiting time. So, you know, with your support and help, I've managed to refer so many of my students in the past to South Manchester and it's been so successful. We've had a really good connection. They've copied me into emails and it's just been really great to know how I can help support them under the guise of somebody who does what I don't do. Um, 
but actually now I wouldn't say under I would say alongside. <laughs> thank you because um, you have a skill I think singing teachers have to remember you have a skill set that the clinicians yeah. don't and so sure. you are an equal member of that yeah team. sure walking alongside thanks for reminding me of that actually um so now when I've got um students who are um presenting with with difficulty it's it's tough for someone like me to know if I refer them I they're going to be potentially gone before I'm going to be able to work alongside someone to support them so that's tough so I wonder what are your thoughts on um things you know practical things that people can do now um what things might be available to them now to help them if they are struggling with either if it's effects of COVID or even just emotional um, issues, which I'm definitely seeing more of. Yeah, me too. I think that um, this this is where organizations like Help Musicians UK come in. Mm. So Help Musicians UK, if anybody doesn't know, is, is a performer, you know, specific charity. And they, they do lots of wonderful work. But one of the things that they do is um, to provide funding for people to get private referrals or specialist help if it's time sensitive and wait lists are problematic or if they don't have access let's say to a performer specialist clinic in their local area you know to get online and to work on zoom uh, i think that's the first port of call actually if, if waiting lists are high if you can't get the sort of referrals you need to get uh, then funding through somewhere like hmuk can solve the uh, financial and the sort of the time-based problems in certain circumstances. There's also a wonderful organization called BAPAM, which is the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine. They will, it's a free service, again, total uh, registered charity. They will give you an appointment with a performing arts specialist GP who can look at what's going on. Now, those, the, the way the NHS works at the moment is your local GP holds the purse strings. They, they're the bank. And so sometimes, and I think I've seen this a lot in, in the years that I've been doing this, a long time, longer than I care to admit, um, <laughs> is that, you know, a performer might go into the GP and say, oh, I've got a problem. And the GP looks at them and goes, hmm, I'm not sure I want to spend money on this. Um, not because they're mean or they're they're nasty, but just because they don't understand kind of what a, a problem this can be for people. And they've got a limited amount of money. So they're going, okay, I've got a certain pot, you know, for cancer referrals and that kind of thing. And I've got, you know, an 18-year-old performing arts student going, oh, I've got a poorly voice. Uh, and they can be quite dismissive and that can be yeah. really emotionally um, tough for the performer. And I think that's where an organization like BAPAM can really help they will uh, assess the client, give the client um, some leaflets and things or, uh, that they can also uh, take along to their uh, local GP. Often they'll do a letter to say, you know, we've seen your very pleasant patient, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is what we would recommend. And what tends to happen in that situation is when you have one GP asking another GP to do something, they're much more likely to comply. Yeah. Yeah. So BAPAM is a really great port of call um, to, to get your initial sort of advice and to start that process going. The, the nice thing now is that, you know, our clinics are open again. Yeah. We have got to the point now where we are seeing uh, people in the voice clinic again. The waiting lists, depending on where you go, are not as high um, as you'd expect. 
Okay. Uh, given that, because especially when you're looking at a, a specialist clinic, like a voice clinic, you know, yeah. the, there's not as much traffic through a voice clinic as there might be through, you know, an asthma clinic, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so BAPAM and HMUK are where I would go. There's also the Royal Society uh, for Musicians, the RSM. They will also provide funding for people to get sort of specialist care as and when they need it. And student level performers have to remember that just because they're students doesn't mean that they don't fall into that elite performer category, which, which, which warrants specialist treatment because they're spending a lot of time and money yeah. training uh, to, to go into this extremely important and very lucrative industry. And that's the other thing we have to remember. The performing arts industry is a huge business. And so it's not to be sniffed at. Yeah. It's, a, it's a massive part of our economy. And they have to remember that, you know, it doesn't exist without people who are there to perform. Mm. And they are the next generation of those people. Yeah. So they do deserve every bit of everyone's respect uh, and specialist care as much as, you know, any charting artist does. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, it's true though. I mean, I do, I see that a little bit at the moment, you know, that there feels like a real hierarchy out there of, uh, and, it's, and even in, because I obviously teach at university and not a drama school, there's different kind of levels that, that people mm. either put themselves on or, or they feel is put upon them. And, and I sometimes listen to some of my students and think, you're really brilliant. And I yeah. hope that the opportunities are there for you. And we obviously do what we can for them because I, I hear them and think, yeah, you know, this this is your world too, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the one thing that um, obviously the impact of COVID vocally, I think is um, something that I've seen a little bit, um, especially, um, and I might just ask you specifically as well, just because a lot of, of, of students have, have pointed it out, it tends to be the higher register in um, the Sopranos, particularly I've got a couple at the moment who just feel as if that is either not there, not strong, and you know they're, they're, they're doing everything that we, we advise them to do every day in terms of their practice. And is that something that you've seen that there's, kind of sections of the voice that just have taken more of a, of a beating as it were um what's interesting about any voice that sort of takes a beating mm. is that it's always the extremes of mm. sort of range register uh you know setup that go first almost mm. always and so that's not uncommon there's a couple of things that are sort of covid specific that i've observed now, again, I don't think we've got good data on this, so please yeah. don't take this as sort of the gospel scientific truth. This is really just my observation. Which the is almost just as good as. <laughs> well, see, at the, what's really interesting about that is that I, I don't subscribe to that idea of being scientifically minded. The whole premise of being kind of scientifically minded is you, you come up with a theory yeah. and then you try and prove yourself wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we could do a whole episode <laughs> on that mentality of things, you yeah. know, that being invested in being right versus wanting to prove yourself Go wrong, wrong. To, to keep learning. That That's quite a big issue, but I digress. Yes. So back yes. to COVID. So uh, what we see, what I've observed, uh, the coughing 
is a massive problem because remember coughing creates collision on the vocal folds and makes things angry. So it does take a while for kind of soft tissue to settle down again. And the problem is that singers aren't always very good at resting. Um, and so there's lots of, voice rest is an interesting thing. I mean, that's a slightly different topic as well, but there are a couple of instances which we really do advise voice rest if you've had a vocal fold hemorrhage or something like that. Uh, post-operatively, but also with laryngitis. And there's different kinds. There's bacterial, uh, viral, fungal, and then use-based. Mm. And coughing, uh, and with COVID, we get into that viral and use-based kind of uh, area where we've just got collision, 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 collision. And the problem with inflammation is if you don't let it settle down, it stays angry. So we've got to be sure that our singers are resting appropriately if they've had a long cough. The other thing is that coughing, violent coughing, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of us who've had uh, who've had the full whammy sort of version of COVID have coughed our guts up for weeks on end. And you can actually create uh, injuries, you know, pathological injuries, and not that they're your fault, but just through the collision force of coughing. You can hemorrhage, you can create little uh, sort of polypoid lesions. There's, there's all sorts of things that can come with lots of aggravated coughing. And so if the COVID has resolved and the cough has resolved and you're still two or three weeks later and you've rested for maybe three or four days, and it's still a bit sort of cutty outy, mm -hmm. then that's where we'd probably want to get a camera up your nose and have a little look at what's going in, uh, going on in there. But the other thing is the fatigue. The fatigue and the post-viral fatigue, which we know, which again is, a, is not a new thing, that, that's a, uh, something that we see with all sorts of viruses, um, but it does seem with the COVID, especially those who are in for the long haul, that that fatigue mm -hmm. can just go on and on. When your body's fatigued, remember your your instrument's not just your larynx, it's your alignment and sort of how I stand up against gravity system. It's your respiratory system. And we're talking big muscles um, that if they've been deconditioned, you know, if you've been out of action for a while, it's gonna take time to get them working again. If you're really fatigued all of the time, then of course your energy stores just aren't there to sort of produce it. So. Mm -hmm. I think with any with anyone who's been ill, the you know the the basic rules are you know not too high, not too loud, and not for too long. We've got to just be quite incremental about how we rebuild. Mm. But also, this pandemic has created a problem because everybody was pretty much out of action for eighteen months. Mm. Now, what's really interesting about that, from my perspective, is, is that you let's take our West End performers because I'm inundated with 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 high level you know performers who are previously have actually been really nicely set up everything's working and shows are reopening and they're getting back on stage and they're calling and going i'm just not able to do what i did before and you know it sounds completely obvious when you say it but there's no substitute for eight shows a week no you you, you cannot produce the, the 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 physical output of eight shows a week in your bedroom yeah you can try but you can never get anywhere near what goes into that experience yeah. and so that rebuilding and reconditioning work is happening a lot i've had you know a, a pop artists who've had to go back out on tour 
who have just gone, whoa. Uh, I, I had a couple of really smart ones who got in touch about eight weeks before their tour and went, right, can we start our rebuild process? Yeah. And that's yeah. been very incremental, you know, to the point where, you know, I had one where uh, she said, okay, wh wh what do I do? Well, you know, I want my daily routine. She's very athletically minded. And I said, okay, well, we're going to start with a 20 minute set. And you're going to, you're going to do it. Uh, you're going to set up, you know, your home PA and all of that. And you're going to put the, the backing track on and you're going to give it full whammy for 20 minutes straight. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to do that again later tonight. And then every week we built it up by five minutes. We added five minutes. Then as that was getting better and better, every three days, we added another five until she was doing her whole set, you know, in her little makeshift uh, home performance arena twice a day. Yeah. And yeah. when she went out for, you know, she had three back-to-back -back dates and then a couple of days off and she was quite nervous. She was like, I've got three shows in a row plus travel. And I went, you know, if you can do your show twice a day, happily which we, where we got to then that that three days isn't going to be a problem and it wasn't you know she she behaved really well she looked after herself and and at the end she was like i'm so glad i did that work yeah. now the flip side of that is that uh we've seen several artists who have gone uh could i just book in for a lesson i've got a tour and and i'm it's two days <laughs> where before i start so could i just have an hour to sort of get back and you go okay <laughs> um you realize that you are an athlete and yes, an athlete yes. isn't going to go in tr uh, to the Olympics having trained for a day. Yeah. So singers have also got to do, you know, we, we can give them great advice, but they also have to be responsible mm. for their own uh, mechanical upkeep to a certain degree and be sensible and be athletically minded if they want to survive. Yeah. Well, that, that just went straight through my mind as soon as you were talking about that. I was just going, who does a marathon? And an hour, you know, one day before they like right. call up, they call up Mo Farah and go, can you just give me a top tips for an hour? Like that just doesn't happen. Right. The work has to happen. And the students, you know, they were, even if they, even if their courses were being allowed to continue. Yeah. They're doing everything online. They're doing it at home. Working from home has, I mean, for some of us, some of us just don't give up, but, and we'll make as much noise as we need to at home, neighbors be damned. Yeah. Uh, and some of us get a little bit sort of, oh God, you know, I had one West End performer who was just like, I, I have to hire a rehearsal space just up the road for me to go and practice because my neighbor on the adjoining wall will literally bang and make noises back at me. And it's just, that's so intimidating and, and, yeah. and awful. So, but even in those situations, you know, you're not, you're not out, you're not being as physical, you're not being in with people, you're not up in that sort of performer mode. And that really does take time to recondition. So I think, being really graceful with ourselves as we rebuild is so important yeah. not putting a lot of high expectation on immediate result trying really really hard not to look backwards yes i mean i am so a, a kind of a what's next kind of thinker yeah i'm so averse to going backwards i don't even like to reverse my car you know who <laughs> does <laughs> that i but that idea of sort of going okay but on thursday i could i, I don't care about thursday i care about today what can we do yeah. today and then what are we going to do tomorrow and we we've got to take that approach and and encourage people to take that approach because 
uh, if you're constantly comparing to what you were doing 18 months ago, it's going to take you a good six months to get back up to that level. So you've got to be yeah. really, really gentle with yourself emotionally and with your expectations. Yeah. And coupling that super on brand for this show, your whole holistic well-being of looking back and going, but but I did. But when I was and I it's actually no, what am I doing today? What am I doing tomorrow? How can I make today and tomorrow the, the day that I want it to be? How can I be the best today, the best tomorrow? There's a, a wonderful book. I mean, it's slightly esoteric called Zen and the Art of Archery. Mm-hmm. Um, and the long story short, um, for the first time in history, a, a white Westerner was allowed to go and study the, the, the practice of Zen. And there are several disciplines with which you can sort of learn Zen. But he decided to do it through archery. And one of the uh, biggest lessons in that book that he highlights and that also I find quite uh, profound and, and worth pondering is that his instructor, his sort of Zen archery master, said, uh, you you don't look at the target. You look, you, you're really aiming back at yourself. And I love that because it's this idea that I'm always, my, my only opponent, or, or even better, my only uh, teammate or my only collaborator or whatever, is always me. Yeah. It's, did what did I do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm only playing tennis. I'm only playing chess with me. Mm-hmm. And what, and as RuPaul says, what anybody else thinks of you is none of your goddamn business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Love that. Oh, Dane, it has been absolutely amazing to chat to you. And I think for people listening as well, just those little take homes of kind of be kind to yourself, no pressure on yourself, looking forwards and thinking about what, what, not looking back at what has happened, but knowing and the awareness of what has happened over the last 18, well, it's more than 18 months now, isn't it? And just going, this is where I am now. And that's fab. And where am I going to be in another few months if I keep the work going and keep working with, you know, all the, all the tools that I have, you know, so thank you. It's been very welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being part of this Wellbeing with Manny community. It really means a lot to me that you can spare some of your precious time to listen to these conversations. Please share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from hearing these open and real conversations. And remember, talking is key. Who will you have a conversation with?